This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. At the peak of its popularity, The Mark and Brian Show was heard in 22 cities, including Los Angeles. The program aired its last show in August of 2012. And then in 2020, The Mark and Brian program was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. We're going to talk to one half of that legendary radio duo, Mark Thompson. This interview went longer than I anticipated. I was frankly just enjoying his stories. We were vibing, so I just kept rolling. But it does mean I'm going to skip my normal monologue and we'll get right into the interview. Mark and Brian was heard every morning for 25 years on the nationally syndicated Mark and Brian show, originating from KLOS in Los Angeles. Mark Thompson has written a book about the rise, the adventures, the misadventures. It's called Don't Bump the Record Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian. When I told friends I was doing this interview and people that I work with at KFBK, they all had a Mark and Brian story, whether it was they cut out of school early to catch one of the live concerts or events, or because the show was syndicated, they were in another city listening to the celebrity interviews and the comedy. The show really was a daily companion for millions of people who now connect that show to a very specific time in their own lives. So Mark's here to fill in those memories. And we started with a discussion about the audiobook version, which includes excerpts from the show, stories about the celebrities, and he's a great storyteller. So he fills us in on drama at the Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham appearance, as well as a very personal moment he shared with Lionel Richie. The audiobook, I know you said it took a year to do. You've dropped in excerpts from the show. You scored it. That sounds exhausting. It was a lot, but it was important to me because this is a book about a radio guy and a, a guy's voice that people listen to for many, many years. So obviously I am the, uh, the reader of the audiobook, and we spent quite a bit of time making sure that we did a good job on that part of it. And then a dear friend of mine, a, a very talented musician, scored the audiobook in places that, you know, music would, would certainly fit. And then at times when we were telling a story about uh, the Mark and Brian program, I would drop in the actual clip uh, from the show of what that story was about. And we're very proud of the audiobook. It turned out incredibly well. Yeah, one of the ones I just listened to right before um, we hopped on the line was the Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks story. And then yeah. her rendition of Landslide, which was yeah. like so emotional. Yeah, it was. It was an emotional morning. In that, you know, Stevie was, she got there really early, um, like two hours before she was supposed to be on the air. And she had us cover up all the windows so nobody could see her. Um, and then we got word that she had decided she was not going to sing. And so Lindsay was in the control room at that time warming up and he immediately put his guitar down, which said to me he had been through this drama with her before. And so it was time for her to be in the room for the interview. And she was being uh, escorted into our control room when one of our switchboarders, Tito, 
was his name. He met up with her in the hallway and he started whispering things to her and he handed her this little leather pouch. God knows what was in it, (laughs) Uh, but they huddled up and hugged and cried and all this stuff. And she then walks into the room and she says, I'm going to sing. So Lindsay immediately picks up his guitar and he starts warming up again. And she went into the song Landslide, which was a song she had written before Fleetwood Mac when she and Lindsay were a couple. And she was torn between staying with him or quitting the relationship and going home to go back to school. And she said at the time her life felt like a landslide. And so now this woman stood at that microphone and did the most heart-wrenching, breathtaking rendition of that song accompanied on guitar by the guy that she wrote the song about. Mm-hmm. And no matter how you how you cut it, if you're listening to the audiobook, when we play that version of Landslide, it is that actual moment from the show when she did it live. And it's breathtaking. That's beautiful. It is truly, Uh, you know, how did it feel to have this front row seat to, uh, you know, not only, you know, drama like that, but, but, but all of the fun that you two had together. I mean, it was, did you ever like try to pinch yourself and say, I can't believe I'm doing this every single day. Early on, I would say that that was every day because we were traveling along when i say we i mean brian and i we were traveling along at a speed and a quality of broadcast that i had never experienced we we quite literally were connected in a comedic way a radio way a broadcast way it's hard to explain but i remember driving home one morning after a particularly great show And I remember thinking it can't be this easy, but the fact of the matter was, is, is that it was at that time we were so connected and so on the same path that it was that easy. But then obviously like any long-term relationship, any marriage, uh, there's that great romantic, wonderful beginning. And then things get a little tougher. Um, and that's really kind of what happened to us. Our relationship became strained, but it was a beautiful, beautiful thing for many of those, those 27 years we were together. You know, when the show ended and uh, you both went your separate ways, I just can't help but think that daily connection with people, radio is so intimate. I mean, you're someone's companion. You keep them company. You make them think. Did you miss that daily connection with people? Yes, and I always will because the way that I conducted myself in broadcast, I was me. I gave you me. I was honest. I was forthcoming with you know, stories about my life off the air and ways that, uh, you know, I would tell a best friend. And in my mind, my listeners were exactly that. And there was a connection because of the way that I shared the intimate details of my personal private life with them, with people that I've never met. 
And I loved that connection. I thrived on it. And when I would meet people um, off the air, uh, I would feel that connection. And do you know that even though I, I miss it, and I do, when I, whenever I run into a, f- a former listener, even though it's been 10 years since they've heard me speak on the radio, that connection is still there. It's, it's like a family member you haven't seen in a very long time. That connection is very much alive and vital. I was talking to some uh, coworkers because I, I work at a radio station now, and, uh, and ev- all of them had a Mark and Brian story. I mean, whether it was, you know, they, they cut out of work because they wanted to go see the Kenny Loggins concert (laughs) or that you were having, or they, they wanted to go to the big boy launching. I mean, everyone had a Mark and Brian story. What are some of the, the, the things that when you think back on that time, I know there are many, um, and you probably picked your favorites for the book, but what, what are one or two of them just times that you thought this is magic? There's, there's one that sticks out, uh, that. I adore because it was such a surprise. Uh, We had Lionel Richie coming in and I've always loved his music. I'd never met him, but I, 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 I love the ballads that he writes. And so he was coming in and I knew that there was a story that I wanted to tell him. Um, When I was a kid, my father would load the whole family in the car And once or twice a year, we would make the six-hour drive down to my aunt's, uh, my mother's sister. She lived in Tuskegee, and she had a working farm, 300 acres. She had her own lake, uh, cows, pigs, horses, the whole thing. And that was my, my first experience on an actual working farm. But my favorite thing is that I would walk a mile up the road to a place called the Torch Cafe. This was a small truck stop uh, because Tuskegee was the last city, per se, that the truckers would go through before they drove into Florida. And said they would stop and gas up and get mechanical work done and have a bite to eat because they had a, a cafe there. And I would go up there and sit in the only corner booth that they had, and I would eat the most glorious cheeseburger fries and a Coke. <laughs> and so I wanted to tell that to, to Lionel. And so he came in and he did two hours of his music right in front of me, three feet from me. And it was incredible. And we took a, we took a commercial break and I told him that story, the one I just told you, I told it to him. And he looked at me and he said, are you, are you messing with me? And I said, no, I mean, you know, you're, you're from Tuskegee. I thought you might know of the torch cafe. And he sat back realizing that my story was genuine. And he said, you know, when I was a student at Tuskegee Institute, um, I was not a very good student. I had to work hard at it. And I was also a member of the Commodores, and we were struggling. We couldn't seem to get anywhere. And on Sunday mornings, I would go down to that Torch Cafe. And I would sit and have breakfast, sip coffee. I would just relax. I didn't feel the burden 
that I lived under. And it was those mornings that that I had a, a time of reflection. And I was sitting there one particular morning and it was just beautiful. The weather was great. It was blue. The birds were singing. It was just fantastic. And he said, I took out my notebook and I wrote down, this is easy, like Sunday morning. And he said, I then continued to dabble and I finished this, my song easy. And he said, I wrote that song in the Torch Cafe, sitting in the same corner booth that you ate your cheeseburger in. And I hated that that wasn't on the air, but that is exactly what he said. And I, I just thought that that was a moment where the universe had a crossroad and Lionel Richie and I were two people standing at that crossroad in that moment. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. And, it's and pretty it, great. It is great. <laughs> wow. Oh my it's gosh. Pretty great. We we hugged as he was leaving the room. Oh, wow. That is yeah. a fantastic story. You know, we hear so much about all of the changes in broadcasting. I, I myself have been in broadcasting for 30 years in television and radio, and I, I know it's changed a bunch for me. Could the Mark and Brian show exist today? Absolutely not. We couldn't, we could, Christina, we couldn't make it 10 minutes. Um, we were known for being a PG-13 plus show. We pushed the envelope. We did and said things that people did not do and say. And that was our superpower. Um, in this day and age, uh, we would be off the air in seconds because it's a different time. And I'm not judging that time. You know, it is what it is. But I can say that we existed in a time that we were allowed to exist in because time was freer. You, you, you could do and say things that that is what makes this country, in my opinion, a great place to be. And nowadays, it doesn't kind of matter what you do or what you say, you're in trouble for it. And uh, it would have been virtually impossible for us to exist in that world. And, and part of that is because when I first got into radio, radio was a mom and pop operation. Um, very seldom would you find a radio station that was owned by a company. It was owned by one person. And that one person normally owned only one radio station. Um, and you could establish relationships. I worked for a mom and pop where on Fridays, mom, who 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 uh, took care of the books for the radio station, she would make lunch for everybody and the entire radio station would sit down and eat and we would bond and share stories. And it was fantastic. And now radio, not just radio, but television, most of the world has become corporate and the corporate, uh, the corporation, as you well know, uh, when there's complaints about something, they immediately will sever ties with it so that they aren't blamed for in anything. They don't want any of that disparity on on the books. And it's a very different world of broadcast than it was when I first got into it. And I don't, I don't want to be the old guy going, I remember when radio was great, though I clearly am that. <laughs> uh, radio now is 
just not what it was primarily because a lot of it is not live it's pre-recorded and that's a that's a shame because there is nothing in this world that has ever made me vibrate more than a live fresh broadcast because you can record it and it's fine but when you do it live it is live and if you make a mistake Everybody hears it, and that's what keeps us human. Right, right. You know, it, it, it also occurs to me that it would be a difficult show, if not impossible, to do today because of the support you the show received. I mean, obviously, it was doing well. The ratings were off the charts, and, and so the sales team was happy, and, and the station manager was happy. But they also gave you guys the room and, and the backing corporately to do the concerts, to do some of the, you know, you'd come to them with some crazy idea and they'd say, okay, and let you do it. You know, I'll tell you, Christina, um, I recently was inducted into the radio hall of fame and I went, I went to Chicago to, you know, you put on a suit, which I only have one. Mm -hmm. So I, I put that on and I got up in front of the room. And one of the things that I said, uh, brought a round of applause because this is a room filled with radio personalities just like I am. And I said, as a radio personality, you absolutely cannot survive if you don't have the support and the backing of the management of the radio station that you work for. Mm -hmm. You can't make it. And all of those air personalities applauded loudly when I said that. Because especially when you're like Mark and Brian, who we were pushing the envelope and doing and saying outrageous things, 95% of the audience loved us for it. 5% were upset and would call and complain. And if it weren't for the fact that we had a manager and many other stations had the same, a manager who would take care of their complaint, but he supported us. He was there for us. He made a good, clean, proper area for us to do what we did. And he always said, don't tell Mark and Brian about these problems. I don't want them burdened with this. I want them free to do what it is that they do. That, no matter how you look at it, is support, pure and simple support. Oh, that's worth his weight in gold when when your you, boss is you, like, I want to take the pressure off you so that you can be loose and, and free yes. and do what you need to do. Christina, you can't buy it. You can't pay for it. It's either there or it, because look, I, in my broadcast career, I would take a new job of a radio station that hired me because of what I do. And then I would get there and they didn't want me to do it. And I never understood that. You hire somebody who has a unique talent and then you won't let them do it. So I learned early on without support, I can't make it. I cannot make it. Nobody can. And I was lucky that I found KLOS and stations in Portland and Sacramento that supported that kind of thing. And we thrived only because we had support. You know, I know you said it ended strained, but I want to take you back to more of the beginning uh, when you and Brian started working together, because I think 
so many people, unless you're a cop with a partner that you you know, get along with wonderfully, or like in my case, with a co-anchor that, that I work really well with, not a lot of people will experience that kind of synergy and that relationship that you, you appropriately say is like a marriage. Um, what was it that you filled for each other? What, what did you do for each other that made that partnership so strong? Well, ours was unique in that I was cruising along in my career as a solo act. I was a solo radio personality trying to make it to the top, trying to make it to big city. And it was like life itself. It was a struggle, um, but, but it was going very well. And I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine, one of my dearest friends, Mark St. John, who was a program director that I worked with many years. And he presented me with the idea of taking on a partner. And this particular guy he was talking about was um, an improvisational comedian, but he had never been on the radio ever. And I thought, well, God, how can that work? He doesn't even, he doesn't have the first, but I met him and I really, I'll be honest with you. And I say it in the book. I didn't, I didn't have any belief that this was going to go anywhere. I met with him because I said I would. And the problem was that I liked him. He didn't like some comedians will push their humor on you. Brian didn't do that. and. When I discovered on that night that we met that he had a love and admiration for Steve Martin and David Letterman like I did, then I knew this was going to work because David Letterman, when he debuted in, in I think it was 1982 on NBC, he showed me and the rest of the world that there is a place in entertainment for stupid stuff. Stuff that doesn't have a reason. It doesn't, there's no reason for it to be entertaining or funny, but yet there it was. And that was exactly the way I felt. And then I found out that Brian did feel the same way. And what made it magical was that we were exactly what the other needed at that time. I was a seasoned radio entertainer. Brian was an improvisational comedian. I needed help with the funny and Brian filled that in and he needed help in understanding this new world of radio that he was in, which I filled that void. So we literally helped each other get to where we got to. And without the two of us, neither one of us individually could have made it. I make the analogy in the book, and I think it's a proper one of Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. Dean Martin was a fantastic singer, but he wasn't funny. Jerry Lewis was hysterical, but he couldn't sing. Now, individually, they were both very good, but you put them together and they made history. So I really equate it to that. We were what each other needed at that time. Very nice. Yes. Tell me about the title of the book, Don't Bump the Record Kid. (laughs) What is that from? Where does that come from? Uh, When I was a kid in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, I had my favorite radio station was W.O.W.L. And the thing that made that station great was the jocks. 
we had another competing top 40 station in town and both stations played the same records, the same commercials, the same promotion. They were exactly the same except for the jocks. The jocks on WOWL were hellions. Uh, they would party <laughs> on the weekend and then through the week they would tell you the stories uh, of what they did at these parties. And it was a Addictive listening. And my favorite jock was Christopher J. Ballou. He did the afternoon show and he came in once. They had had one of their parties and he got drunk and he mixed up a bunch of cement and he poured it in the program director's trunk. And he he was taken off the air for a while, but not before he told the story. And I would run home from school because I was afraid I would miss something Christopher was going to say. And so he was my idol. He was the one that taught me what fun radio can be. He was my idol and I wanted to meet him. And I would go up to the radio station and sit in the lobby. I was 10, 11, hoping I would meet him and they would always kick me out. But then <clears throat> they started promoting that Christopher was going to do a live broadcast from my shopping center near my house. So I rode my bike up there. And this was back in the day when if a disc jockey was broadcasting live, they would bring the entire contraption, two turntables, a microphone, everything they needed. And they would literally broadcast from that location. So I rode my bike up. There was a big crowd. And there he was. There's my hero right there. He's sitting right there. And I didn't re I just dropped my bike. I didn't even put the kickstand down. I just let it fall because there's my guy. And without realizing, I started walking toward him. And of course, that put me near the turntables. And he turned and he saw me and he smiled. And he said, hey, hey, don't bump the record, kid. And that was my hero. And little did I know that five years from that time, I would become a disc jockey at WOWL and get a chance to work alongside Christopher. And that was the first time that I realized, because I saw it, that Christopher wasn't great by accident. I watched him work hard every day on what he was going to do on the show. And I realized then that's why he's great because he works at it. And I learned from him as a fan. And then I learned from him as a workmate and it all started there for me. I knew there was a good story behind that title. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, so why write the book now? You're donating all the proceeds to this Eastwood Ranch Animal Rescue. Um, you know, when did you get the idea to write the book? Um, has it been brewing for a while? Did you really want to help this animal rescue out? Tell me about that. Well, uh, that's a multi-layered question. So yes. I wanted to tell the story, but what started to happen for me was the legacy of the Mark and Brian program, which at the time felt so big and, and successful. It felt to me like it was starting to slip away, like we were being forgotten. And Instead of doing the insane thing, which is to get a megaphone and stand on a street corner yelling, hey, don't forget about Mark and Brian. I decided to do the same thing and write that story down 
I wanted to chronicle that story, the history of the Mark and Brian program for some person that one day some kid may become addicted to radio, to old radio, and he may want to read the stories. And if I didn't write it down, who would? I'm one of only two people that could tell that story. And Brian, he can't write. So <laughs> I, I decided that I would sit down and tell the story to the listeners that were listening what was actually happening behind the scenes while they were enjoying the show. Mm. And, and so that, that's what I did. And then I was literally getting to the end of the first draft of the book. And I thought, well, God, I've got to let my attorney know that I'm going to sell this book and there's going to be money coming in. We've got to do something with it. And it dawned on me that I should maybe I've always been charitable. My wife and I, I, I've always been one to give back because I've been fortunate. And I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll donate some of the, some of the money. And at that time, my dog Walker was sitting in my lap and I was reminded of the unconditional love that I had received from all of my dogs all of my cats throughout my life. I am a massive animal lover. You, you know, I can remember in my radio days, I would come home after being gone for 10 hours and I would run into the apartment and I would put fresh food and fresh water down. And what did my dog do? He came and sat in my lap and licked my face and loved on me and greeted me and then at some point he would go eat. And it's that love that enriched my life, that made me a better person, that made my life fuller. And in their honor, in their memory, I wanted to give back, but not just some. I, I wanted to give all of it to help some of these animals that are suffering. And this is when I was introduced to Allison Eastwood. Allison and her volunteers literally go into the kill shelters. And she says, all of the dogs and cats that are scheduled to be put down in the next few days, I want them. And they would take all of those animals to their homes and, and rescue them. They would nurse them back to health, feed them, give them a warm place to sleep. And so Allison is trying to get this building built where they can get veterinary care, have a place to live, nurse them back to health, give them a good life, and, and teach people, if you want a pet, come here. The dog or cat of your future may be right here in our building. So I wanted to help her. And so whatever it is that we generate from this book, the hardcover, the softcover, the ebook, the audiobook, 100% of the proceeds are going to go to help the lives of animals that you may never meet. Love it. Wow. That's a, and a beautiful explanation of, of how you decided. I love that. I mean, I hope she'll, well, it, she'll get her building. And, and Christina, the other thing is, you know, greed is, I, I, I can't stand it. I am so fortunate to have had the kind of career that I had that afforded me a fantastic living. And I don't need a villa in France. I don't need a yacht. Um, I, I, I live a good life. And for me to put even one more dollar mm. 
on top of the the pile that I currently have when I could help something uh, something that means a great deal to me there was no there was there I, I didn't have to think about it mm-hmm. I didn't have to discuss it with anybody that was it that's what I'm doing it felt right it felt good even to this day I've never doubted it this is the right thing to do with so many fans that have had that listened to that show and and those that are listening now, a quick update on your life now. What are you doing? Are you are are you podcasting? Are you going to write another book on something? Are you just enjoying retirement and are you traveling? What are you up to? I'll tell you a quick story, which will begin the answer to that question. I went into the men's room at KLOS, and this was a building that had four radio stations in it with one men's room. And this is Los Angeles. So you can imagine the level of celebrities you might run into would be fairly high. One day I walked into the men's room just to wash my hands. And so I'm washing my hands and there was somebody at the urinal. I heard him flush and zip up. And um, and as I was washing my hands, I heard this booming voice say, how are you? And as I was washing my hands, I looked in the mirror and it was Charlton Heston oh, wow. <laughs> wa- washing his hands beside me. And and I I said, well, Mr. Heston, I'm fine. How are you? And as he dried his hands, he said, blessed, my friend, blessed. That's what I am, Christina. <laughs> I'm blessed. I have been given uh, a, a wonderful career. Oh, I've made a wonderful living doing it. And and now my children have grown, married, and given me two stupid, ignorant grandchildren <laughs> that I absolutely adore. And I can't wait to whisper vile things into their ears and screw <laughs> their lives up. No, honestly, I mean, it's just I, I'm I'm taking the time, you know. As much as I loved broadcast, uh, and, and I do miss certain parts of it, but I don't miss the grind of whenever I would finish a radio show, the moment that I was done, I would start building the next show. Um, there were many times I couldn't leave the city because I had to be on the air. Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying not having those restrictions on me. I can get on an airplane and fly off to see my kids, my grandkids. My wife and I spend part of the year in North Carolina on one of the most beautiful lakes you've ever seen. And we also have a place in California that we stay so that we can visit with my kids and my grandkids. And it's it's just I don't deserve it. I just don't deserve it. But that's what we're doing. I paint. Um, uh, sadly I'm a creative and being a creative can be a burden because you have to exercise it. Yes. And, and so I will, uh, just, just, it, it's honestly like taking a, having a drink when I come out and I start trying to do a little bit of painting, I find it so relaxing that I do a little bit of that. And I, I heard a a quote years ago that I absolutely adore, and it applies to my painting. And the quote is, I want to sing like the bird sings, not caring who's listening or what they think. The stuff that I paint, I'm the only one who will ever see it. 
and it's very freeing because I can try things and do things. And in short, Christina, my life is completely full of things that don't matter to anybody but me, and I'm loving it. That is such a great answer. I think you might have answered my last question, though, which is something I ask everyone that I interview. Um, what is a hack, a creative uh, ritual? What is something you do when you're feeling depleted that re-energizes your creativity? Is it painting for you or is it something else? It's part of it. Um, I mean, painting is something that I can do like with this book and I've been doing, uh, I've been going a lot. It's been very, very busy and building up to the live show that we did. There was a lot of stress. A lot of things were falling apart and, and what I would do, I would literally during those, and we're talking about literally a week ago, I would get up and I would come in here and I would start painting. And, and it relaxed me. It focused me because when you're doing something, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's creative, your entire brain focuses on that and all the other crap that we have in our head that doesn't matter. It's just noise. All of that falls away in, in a way it's meditation. And, but, but that's, that's not, I mean, I do that to relax, but what I really do is I spend time with my family, with my kids, who are all stupid and ignorant. You know, when you have kids, you think, oh, when they're little, you, oh, this is a blood. This child is just a gift. This is a blessing. This child smart above all the other kids. This one's special. And then they get up to be about 25 and you realize you've raised a simpleton who has nothing to give. But there's there's nothing that I enjoy more than being with my people, doing what I can to enhance their life beyond trying to guide them with advice. I try to be there at every turn with whatever they may need. But at the same time, I have demanded from all of my kids two things. Number one, you're going to work every day. Nothing is free. The true joys in life come from personal fulfillment, because whatever it is that you do for a job, I demand that it be something that you absolutely adore, because if it is, you will be like me. You will be fulfilled at every turn because you're doing what you love. And all my people are doing that. Boy, I hope you do start a podcast. Because it, what you had, that last bit especially, very inspirational. Well, Christina, let me also tell you, in case you haven't been told, and I'm sure you have, you're a fantastic broadcaster. Well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah, an amazing interview you did. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you letting me shout my crap. Ab <laughs> Absolutely. And we will put links to Don't Bump the Record Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian. Mark Thompson, thank you again. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Christina. Same here. Don't Bump the Record Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian is out now. 
It'd make a great Christmas gift, and all proceeds, again, go to support that animal shelter in Southern California. A couple of things from my world at Mendonca Media. I've launched a new initiative based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile. It's a mini documentary for C-suite execs. Think of it as something you'd play before you get up to speak at a conference or something you could send to broadcast networks when you're trying to be one of their expert guests. You could use it for onboarding to help new employees understand your vision or help clients understand how you founded your company and why. Helping thought leaders expend reputation and reach. The Power Profile, if you want to know more, head to my website, mendonsamedia.com. Also, you can sign up for my newsletter, a little value add each month, communication tips, lessons from my consulting work. I share new research, information, and news about the world from connections with colleagues in the academic space. I don't do it every month, but most months. Also, the trailer for my new documentary is complete. The movie is called Sacred Texts of War. It's brain science meets the most compelling stories from veterans you will hear. Look for the trailer to drop in January. And thanks for being here. I'm Christina Mendonca. Stay powerful. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through mendonzamedia.com.